Welcome to church, to the rest of you, to everybody here, of course, those of you that are tuning in at all of our locations, our online and television audience, we know that God is going to speak to you in a powerful way. If you have your Bible, would you take it out? If you need a Bible, raise your hands and the ushers will get those to you. Let's hold it up. All together, let's say this. Ready? Go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen. Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? By the way, it is good to be back. I wasn't off last week. I was in Wilkett for our fifth year anniversary at our Wilkett location. Isn't that amazing? God has blessed that location so, so much in such a short period of time. We are grateful to see what God is doing at all of our locations. And I know that my son, Pastor Joey, did an amazing job. Thank God for him. Amen. All of the good that he has is from his mother. None of it's from me. Anyway, John chapter number six, beginning in verse number one, the Bible says, after these things, Jesus went over the sea of Galilee, which is the sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Today in our series, He Amazes Me, I want to minister to you from the subject, no, not just a prophet. (laughs) No, not just a prophet. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, again, thank you for open hearts and open ears to the word of God to have free course in our lives. We give you all the praise and everybody said, you may be seated. As you know, we are in a series called He Amazes Me. And the heart behind this series is to help us to regain our holy wonder of how good our Savior is, to remind ourselves to remove the limitations that we very often either subconsciously or consciously place on God, restricting Him to move in our lives like He wants to. That we would get rid of, get rid of the in, inintentional blindness to His majesty and His power that so often s- sets in as a result of life and religious false assumptions. 
assumptions about God, that we would wake up to his miraculous power that surrounds us every single day. Like, for instance, when the sun rises and when the moon comes out at night. Matter of fact, G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, is it possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun? And every evening, do it again to the moon. That the repetition in nature may not be a recurrence, but it may may be a theatrical encore. In other words, could it be that we are living in a perpetual miracle every single day of our lives? That all around us, this, this world that we take for granted is the miraculous creative power of Almighty God. That every time the sun comes up, it's God's miracle working power. That every time we see the moon, it's God's miracle working power. That every time we look at the stars, it's God's miracle working power. Do we realize that we are actually living in a miracle every day and therefore we are surrounded by the miracle working power of God. And that's what this series is all about. It's to to give us a faith lift that we perhaps when faced with the most difficult challenges of life can say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that he is able. How many of you know that's a theme of the Bible that he's able? He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's able to establish us. He's able to keep that which we've committed to him against that day. He's able to deliver us from the fiery furnaces. He's able to heal our bodies. He's able to save our marriages. He's able to provide for us financially. He's able to open blind eyes, unstop deaf ears. He's able to do all the things that we think are impossible. Why? Because he's God. He's got to be able. I was talking to somebody one time and they were talking about, well, how do we really know that Jesus is, is God? And there's a lot of ways that we really know that Jesus is God, but, but one of the primary ways is his miraculous ability. Why will we ever serve a God who cannot do the impossible? By definition, if God can't do something, he's really not God. Because God is limitless, right? God, God is, is, is matchless. God, God, there's nothing too difficult for him. Matter of fact, God chuckles at what we think is impossible for him. Remember when Abraham went to him and he was having a conversation and God told him, he said, I'm going to give you a child in your old age. And they laughed and, and God looked at them. He says, is anything too hard for me? Seriously? Like you think this is difficult for me? You think I'm challenged by it so often in in life. We give more power to the problem than to the God that we serve who can cause us to overcome every problem. And so that's what this series is all about. And as we come to the, the text, the text is a backdrop for some of the facts or some of the truths that can cause us to be amazed by God. I want you to notice, first of all, that a great multitude came to Jesus. And sometimes we can I can read these things and we don't really understand what they're saying. But this is from the, the Greek word, which means an exaggerated crowd. And so for you to understand how big this crowd actually was, just think of that person in your life who, who always stretches the truth, right? It's like we had to wait for so long and it was like 15 minutes, right? Or, or the guy who catches fish, you know, it's like a five-inch sun. He's like, caught a five-foot bass, you know, type of thing. This was an exaggerated crowd. It was a mega crowd, a huge
huge crowd that was converging on Jesus. And why were they coming? The Bible says they saw the signs that he performed. And the word saw here in the original language means to see repeatedly over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. In other words, they were watching Jesus not just do a miracle here or there, but they were watching Jesus do constant miracles. After 10 miracles, he still didn't run out of miracle working power. After 100, the miracle working power was still there. And can I remind somebody, he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's got no loss of power. And so they were following because they saw. But notice the miracles that he performed. And the word performed here literally describes creative miracles. It literally describes not, not the stuff that you can't see and everybody gets excited about, but the stuff that you can see. Blind eyes literally opening on the spot. I mean, people who couldn't walk all of a sudden jumping to their feet. Deaf people being able to hear. Mute people being able to speak. This is what they were witnessing time and time and time and time again. He's a miracle working Jesus. Even though John's gospel only records seven of his signs, eight if you count the resurrection, which is the greatest of all miracles, even though there's a limited number recorded. John says, if I wrote down everything that Jesus did, the worlds would not be able to contain the volumes of the books. He was a miracle working machine. You could not hang around Jesus without getting a miracle. Can I encourage you? You cannot hang around Jesus even today. If you get close enough to Jesus, his miracle working power will spill over in your life. Well, why don't I see any miracles? Are you close to Jesus? Some people want us to, want Jesus to give us miracles from afar. We're only so close. Jesus, you can't get into this part of my life and that part of my life and I'm reserving this and I'm keeping this back and so on and so forth, but give me a miracle anyway. That's not the way it works. You gotta rub shoulders with him. You gotta walk and talk with him. In him we live, we move, we have our being. So they were converging on Jesus because of all of these miracles which they were perpetually seeing. And verse number three says, and Jesus went up to the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. But when you read this in the original language, it doesn't literally mean sit down, take a seat. The the, the language is he reclined. And so we can see that Jesus got tired from ministry. By the way, if you aren't getting tired in what you're doing for God, you're not trying hard enough. See, we have this thing where we don't want to exert too much pressure. We don't want to exert too much work. Can I just tell you that God expects us to work what he's put in our hands. Amen. God expects us to put our hands to the plow. God expects us to give everything that we have. Jesus got tired from ministry. He finally thinks I'm going to get a little rest. He finally thinks that I'm just going to lay down here. But what I love about this is even a tired Jesus can perform miracles. Amen. This is a theme in the Bible. Remember when he was asleep in a boat? And the disciples came and woke him, and out of a dead sleep, he commanded the storm to be still. He rebuked it. He said, peace be still, and it obeyed him. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning, I need coffee before I can think. If you wake me up out of a dead sleep, there's no miracles that are being performed here. But Jesus, out of a dead sleep, a sleepy Jesus is more powerful than an alert enemy. Come on, somebody. He got tired. 
But notice what it says now. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Now, this is significant because wherever the Jewish people were, wherever they were living, they would always come back to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. They were always coming there. And so as they're, and they had a pass, this mountain that Jesus was, was reclining on, was trying to get rest with. And when they, I guess, saw or heard that Jesus was there, they made a detour to Jesus. Can I tell you, that's a great thing to do. When life throws you a detour, don't get depressed. When life throws you a detour, don't give into it. Make it your business to say, Jesus is about to perform something that is amazing in my life. Turn toward Jesus when life throws you detours. So this is the setting for this amazing miracle. The disciples have witnessed creative miracle after creative miracle. Not only the things that they saw that caused the crowd to follow Jesus, but everything that the crowd didn't see the disciples saw. They, they should have been ready for what Jesus had to do. But they weren't ready. They, they missed it. And oftentimes, how many of you know familiarity can cause us to miss the things of God? And so they were missing this, this miracle-working Jesus that was right before them. And, and so as we come into the story, we see some of the, the truths that will help us to be amazed by Jesus. Number one, you need to abandon adult-like reason. If you are ever going to see God amaze you, you need to abandon adult-like reason. Jesus sees this huge crowd converging on him. They've traveled from all over to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. They are hungry, and I love this, and Jesus wants to feed them. Don't tell me Jesus wasn't Italian. There is a lot of evidence in the Bible that says Jesus was Italian. For instance, every Sunday he drank wine and wore sandals. That's Italian. He lived at home with his mother until he was 30. That's Italian. Him and his father were carpenters in a union. That's Italian. He hung out with 12 guys and none of them ever had jobs. That's Italian. He was born and three wise guys brought him gifts for no reason at all. That's Italian. And right here in our story, by the way... He wants to feed everybody. Don't tell me Jesus is not Italian. He looks over at Philip. He said, where can we buy some bread that that everybody can eat? And, And why Philip? Well, because Philip was from Bethsaida, and Bethsaida was nine miles from where they were. And so if anybody knew the area well, you know, it would be, it would be Philip. Philip, where can we go to the grocery store and get some, something to eat right here? Well, that, and also Jesus was, and this is what the text says, testing Philip to see how far he had come on his spiritual journey. Because it's one thing to hang around the things of God a lot. I've seen people come to church 30 years. They know nothing about God. It's one thing to hang around the things of God. It's another thing to grow in the things of God. And so Jesus, here, here's Philip, and Philip's been hanging around Jesus. He's seen all the miracles, all the other disciples as well. And he wants to see, how have you come in your spiritual journey? Philip should have been ready for what Jesus was going to do. Philip was there when he fed the 4,000 families. I mean, if you've seen him do it once, I mean, shouldn't you be ready for him to do it again? Right? And so he, he looks at him and, 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 and notice, this is what the scripture says. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing the great multitude coming to him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said for he himself knew what he would do to test him. He was testing him. Philip should have said, boss, I know what you're up to. 
Oh, no. I seen you do this once. And if, if you did it before, I know you could do it again. Instead of Philip saying, you know, well, well, uh, I don't know where we can't buy any bread. For, he should have said, Oh, you up to something, huh? I know when you start asking questions, Jesus, you ain't asking questions because you're looking for information. Jesus asking always precedes amazing. You're up to something, Jesus, but that's not what he said. But he should have known. And how many of you know, God always has a plan. Even before we are aware of problems, God always has a, has a plan in our life. God is not surprised. He sees before it happens. He sees the beginning from the end. His plan always awaits our arrival. He is not putting it all together at the last minute. He's not frantically making it happen because he was unprepared. He's ready. The plan is already in place. He said in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. Not a surprise plan. Not something that I'm trying to figure out. I already know what I'm going to do. I'm not shocked. I'm not winging it. I'm not trying to figure it out. The plan is ready in place. Victory has already been assigned. There is a ram already caught in the thicket, Abraham. There is a road in the ocean for you, Moses. There is ravens waiting your arrival, Elijah. There's a beauty contest in the plans, Esther. There's a dream on the calendar for Pharaoh to have Joseph to pull you out of the prison. There is a whale waiting in the water, Jonah. There is provision in the fish's mouth. Peter, I'm the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. I already grew the tree that would be my cross. I already have the cave that would be my place of resurrection. The plan's already in place. God's not asking because he's trying to figure it out. He's asking because he already knows what he's going to do. But Philip answers, he says, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. This is how you know Philip was not Italian. Because he says everybody could have a little. That's not an Italian thought right there. Anyway, notice what he says. Does he just pick 200 denarii out of the blue? No. Most scholars believe that this is at least what Jesus had on him. 200 denarii. Now you're not shocked by that because you don't know what a denarii is. A denarii is one day's of a wage. So he had 200 days wages that he was carrying around in a bag. See, most people never talk about Jesus like this. Oh, Jesus, he was broke, you know, no place to lay his head. No, no, Judas was a thief and he carried the money bag of the ministry of Jesus, which at least had 200 denarii in it. And by the way, that's also how I know Jesus was Italian, because we don't carry our money in wallets. We put it in a little paper bag. Here you go. Here's a little something for you. I mean, there's evidence all over the Bible that Jesus was Italian. That's a whole nother story, right? Here's the point. Philip does the math. Philip goes, wait, wait, wait a second. Two-thirds of a year's salary, which is what 200 Naira is. Mm, let me see that. This huge crowd out there, I, I don't think we can do this. He gets caught up in adult-like reasoning. And notice what the scripture says. It says there were 5,000 men that sat down. And men is the Greek word for heads of household. And so really what it is describing is there are 5,000 families represented there. Why? Because they're coming to celebrate the Passover. So the whole family is coming. But guess who's leading the whole family to celebrate the things of God? It's not the mamas, fellas. It's the papas. 
Oh, times have changed. Father's Day, you could shoot off a rifle in church. Ain't nobody there. Because here's a Father's Day. I want to sleep late today. You know, I want everybody to serve me today. Mother's Day is like, what do you want, Mom? I want you all to come to church with me. I want you all to come to church with me. We got to reverse that. It was the men that were leading the whole family to the things of God to celebrate the Passover. 5,000 men in Hebrew families were huge. Matter of fact, they measured the blessing of God by the number of kids they had. And indeed, that's why the psalm says, blessed is the man who has his quiver full of kids. And the, 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 the family of Jacob, for instance, was 12, right? The 12 tribes of Israel. And so if they had 12 kids and there were 5,000 families with 12 kids, think of how big that crowd is. But let's just back it up for just a minute and say that conservatively, there was four kids in every family. Four kids plus mommy and daddy. So that's 5,000 times 6, 30,000 minimum. And it could have been more than that. Philip is looking at this. He's going, I got 200 days wages and I got 30,000 people in this place. How in the world am I going to feed everybody? He is doing adult-like reasoning. Not only that, but the logistics of this miracle is mind-blowing. I looked up. If you were to do like a, a seated event, how many square feet you would need per person? 13.5 square feet per person. That means that these 30,000 people were sitting over nine acres of grass. So Jesus, Philip looks over, he says, oh, I got 200 denarii, I got to feed all of these people, 30,000, spread out over nine acres. We can't do that. But not only was Philip caught in adult-like reasoning, Andrew was caught in adult-like reasoning. Because Andrew looks around and he goes, oh, there's a little lad here. He's got five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Now you gotta understand, these weren't five Italian loaves, although there's no better bread in all the world. They weren't five Italian loaves, they were five barley loaves. A barley loaf is like a cracker. This was a little boy's lunch. He was probably between the ages of five and nine. He's got five crackers and not two big bass, two little small sardines. And so Andrew looks over and Andrew starts out in faith. Cause he's been around Jesus. He's like, I've seen this man work before. He don't need much. He just needs faith as a grain of a mustard seed. If you just give him a little something, watch what he can do. It's amazing what he can do. So he starts off, he looks around, he goes, I know, I know, I know. Five crackers and two small sardines. But then adult-like reasoning snuffs out his faith. He says, but what are they among so many? And as you read through the scriptures, you find that there is this thing called adult-like reasoning that is constantly standing in the way of us being amazed by God. And it happened to all the Bible greats, even Moses. Moses in the wilderness, you know, everybody's hungry. And God is doing a miracle for them every day. He's sending these little frost-like flakes on the ground called manna. And everybody is complaining about the frost-like flakes. I don't know about you, but I think they're great. Come over here. 
Everybody is complaining about these things. We're tired. We're going to eat the same thing every single day. At least back in Egypt, we ate vegetables. And at least back in Egypt, we ate meat. It's amazing how when stuff starts to go in the opposite direction when we serve God, how quickly we want to go back to the world as though the world's got something better for us. And you know what? Sometimes the enemy will make the world so nice that you will miss your need for God and spend eternity apart from him in a place called hell. And so they're complaining. And so God says, oh, yeah, I'm going to send you so much meat. It's going to be coming out of your nostrils. It becomes, and he sends them quail. I call it quail Magedon. There, there's so much quail. I mean, quail is coming from everywhere. Matter of fact, he promises them this quail. And look at what Moses says. Numbers chapter 11, verse number 21. The people whom I'm among are 600,000 men on foot. Just the men. Yet you have said, I'll give you meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish in the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? What is happening? Philip, Andrew, and Moses are all getting caught up in adult-like reasoning. They are thinking that God is limited to natural means to do whatever he needs to do in their life. And so their adult-like reasoning is standing in the way of the miracle-working power of God. Ever been there? God says, do this. Yeah, you, you, you do the math. I, I don't think I can. God says, Give me the first 10% of all your increase. I, I, I don't think I, I could afford that. Have you ever been there before where you start doing the math, where you start running the numbers whenever God asks you to do something because you forgot that God is not limited to what you possess or what you have in your hand because you forgot that God is not a man. He's not bound by natural means, that he is a supernatural God. And as you give him just a little something, it's amazing what he can do. I remember when, when God called me to leave my job as a, as a CPA and the future of a CPA attorney and tell me to go into ministry for $400 a month. While I was first getting married, I started to do the math. I said, I can't do that. I can't even provide for my wife on four. I said, God, maybe I'm going to call them up and see if they left a zero off of that when they said $400 a month. Maybe they meant $4,000 a month. I know they didn't mean $400 a month. See, you start getting into adult-like reasoning. And God will shake you out of adult-like reasoning. I remember when God called us to, to build this facility. And, and, and I was like, I don't know how. Our budget was like 800000 at the time, which is not a little bit of money, but it's not enough to build $18 million of facility 20 years ago. And all of a sudden, God sent this guy to the church. His name was one on Bob. That wasn't really his name, but we're Italian, so we gave him a nickname. one on Bob. And we called it right to his face. I mean, it was a good thing. We weren't making fun of him. He, he knew so on and so forth. And this guy was in church all the time, him and his family and everything like that. I mean, they seemed like good people, never missed a tithe, never missed when the doors were open, served everywhere. One day on a Friday, he calls me up. He said, Pastor, I just won a $70 million lawsuit. He said, I want to bring you a check for $15 million on Monday. I was like, cool. <laughs> that weekend, I started dreaming. I started dreaming. Dreamed about everything that you see right here. Monday came along. Oh, sorry, man. The money got held up. 
A month went by, another excuse. Two months, two months. By the way, people who got big money like that never tell you in advance. They just bring it. Just, just some, I can't tell you how many people have promised us millions of dollars over the years for the work of the Lord. Nobody that's promised except one person who actually just brought it actually did it. Actually two people who actually just brought it, they did it. But anyway, Keep going on. Keep Make a long story short. It was a big lie. It wasn't true. I got before the Lord. And I said, Lord, you got my hopes up for the whole weekend. I said, I was dreaming about everything that we could do for you. Because somebody was bringing a $15 million check. And you know what the Lord said to me? He said, is there anything too hard for me? See, see, we have to understand, sometimes God just got to shake you out of your natural thinking, out of your adult-like reasoning, as though God is bound to the budgets that we have. Although God's vision is bound by our human limitations, God is just asking us to step out. What is it that we can give him that can cause him to multiply it in our lives? And so number one, if you are going to see God amaze you, you've got to step out of adult-like reasoning and you've got to step out in childlike faith. Step out of adult-like reasoning and step in in childlike faith. Notice again, even though Andrew started in faith and backed out, he was on to something. He said, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Now you have to understand, again, this is just a little boy's lunch. And here is the miracle within the miracle. This little boy, between five and seven, gives his lunch to Jesus. He becomes the unsung hero in the story. Every mother in here knows one of the things you got to teach your kids is to share. Because everything is mine. Ever get around little kids? Mine, mine. And they even say mine about what's yours, right? Everything is mine, mine, mine. And if you could ever get a kid to share, and sometimes another little kid will come along and try to take their toy, and they'll pull it back, slam them over there, and say mine. (laughs) Every mother in here knows that in order for you to get your kid to the place of generosity, you've got to teach them to be generous. And so here is this little boy, and obviously he had a good mama because he was willing to share his lunch with Jesus. He looked at the situation. He didn't have adult-like reasoning. He didn't know that in the natural, five crackers and two little fish couldn't feed a group of about 30,000. He said, here, Jesus, why don't you take this? You know what Jesus said? That's all I needed. All I needed was a little something. Because when we put something in the hand of Jesus, God can do something with nothing. He could have made a four-course meal out of nothing. But here's what happens from a spiritual perspective. God invites us always to initiate the process by doing something natural. God expects us to do something natural in order for him to do something supernatural. And this is why a lot of people never see God amaze them. Because they are waiting for God to do something with their nothing. God doesn't do something with your nothing. God does something with your something. That's why 
The widow woman of Zarephath, she was down to zero. Last bit of oil and meal. And God said, listen, if you want me to multiply it, the first thing you got to do is put it in the hands of the prophet. you got to give away the last bit that you have. Before he healed the ten lepers, he told them, you got to go show yourself to the priest. Before the man born blind was healed, he had to go to the pool of Siloam and wash the mud from his eyes. Before God opens up the windows of heaven on you and pours you out a blessing that there won't be no room enough for you to receive, you must bring your tithe. Don't look Look at God like he's crazy if you're not financially blessed, but yet you continually and repetitively ignore the commandments of God. God said, you got to give me something in order for me to multiply it in your life. Childlike faith. Childlike faith says, you know what? I'm going to put something in the hands of God. Secondly, almost every miracle is initiated by an action that defies reasoning And that's why Jesus calls us to have childlike faith. Remember what he said? He said, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called the little child to him. He said, I'm in the midst of them. Verily, verily, he said, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying? He's saying, resign from adult-like reasoning and enter into childlike faith. One lady recently made this decision and she wrote this. She said, I'm hereby officially tendering my resignation as an adult. She said, I've decided that I would like to accept the responsibilities of an eight-year-old again. She said, I want to go to McDonald's and think it's a five-star restaurant. I want to think M&M's are better than money because you can eat them. I want to lie underneath a big oak tree and run a lemonade stand with my friends on a hot summer day. I want to think that the world is fair, that everyone is honest and good. I want to believe that anything is possible. I want to be, I want it to be obvious, oblivious to the complexities of life and be overly excited by the little things again. I want to live simple again. I don't want my day to consist of computer crashes and mountains of paperwork and depression news and how to survive more days in the month than there is money in the bank. I want to believe in the power of smiles and hugs, a kind word, truth, justice, peace, dreams, the imagination, mankind, and making angels in the snow. So here's my checkbook and my car keys, my credit card bills, and my 401k statements. I'm officially resigning from adulthood, and if you want to discuss it further, you'll have to catch me first. Never know we can't do that. There's a, there's a ring to that. There's a majesty to that. There's something that speaks to our souls because it has everything to do with how we approach our Heavenly Father. You know, kids think their dads can do anything. They think their dads can do anything. I can't tell you how many times I came home to Nicole's doll's missing legs. Her jewelry all tangled up. And it'd be a little note. She, dad, dad, can you fix this? I need it by tomorrow. I'm like, there's a leg missing. You didn't even provide me with the leg. It's not even like I got something to glue back here. How am I going to fix that? I remember one time, Joey was like four or five. We used to have an arcade where, where Sunbucks is right now. And, uh, and he, we had an air hockey table in there. He was playing air hockey against an older kid, and he started to lose, and it was like 5-3. And I was just watching, and he hands me the puck. He goes, Dad, you play him because you could beat him. I must warn you, though, after they grow, they, they, they stop thinking you can do anything. Joey was about 12. We're watching a Cowboy game. Tony Romo was the quarterback. He threw two terrible passes. There wasn't a receiver anywhere near it. One of them almost got picked off. And every time he threw a bad pass, I very calmly, 
because I don't get that excited. Very calm, especially when I'm watching football. Very calmly said, come on, man. What are you doing? You could do better than that. Joey looks over at me, and he goes, Dad, you couldn't do any better. When he was five, if I told him I could throw a football 75 yards and I could start and be the starting cowboy, starting uh, Dallas Cowboy quarterback, he would have been like, I know you can, Dad. I know you can, Dad. But as they grow, they lose their wonder that their dads can do anything. Can I tell you, you need to resign from adult-like reasoning and you need to sign up for childlike faith. Never lose your wonder that he can do anything. Hand them your broken legs. Hand them your failed marriages. Hand them your, hand them your financial insecurity. Hand them your broken heart. Hand them whatever you need. Leave them a little note and say, Dad, can you fix this? And I need it by tomorrow. Never lose your wonder. The little boy, he brought it to Jesus. He said, Jesus, can you do something with this? And then Jesus does something for it. It's the third key for seeing God amaze you. Express Christ-like gratitude. The little boy set it off because he put something in the hand of God. By the way, I want to encourage you. If you need a miracle, you must put something in the hand of God. You must put it there. But then Jesus takes this little boy's lunch, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Notice what Jesus did. He gave thanks... For what he had and before he received what he wanted. Let me say it again, slow. He gave thanks for what he had and before he received what he wanted. Let me say it one more time for all the people in the back. He gave thanks for what he had and before he received what he wanted. Anybody could give thanks, even though some people don't even. You got up this morning. Did you say thank you, Jesus? You got a paycheck over the last week, month, whatever. Did you say thank you, Jesus? You ate some breakfast this morning or dinner last night or a snack at midnight. Whatever you ate last, did you say thank you? See, some people don't even say thanks after they receive what they wanted. But it's harder to say thanks before you get what you want. But notice what Jesus does. He gives thanks for what he already has. Five barley loaves, five crackers, and two small fish. And he holds them up and he gives thanks for those things and before he gets what he wanted. There is something Something powerful in our Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the gasoline on the fire of the seed that we sow into the hands of God that causes him to do a miracle in our lives. I remember, and I've told this before, years ago we, we, were, we were broke. It's good to remember where you came from. We couldn't, we couldn't sometimes buy formula and diapers and we was breaking open a piggy bank to do it. And I, I was in the basement. I had a desk in the basement. It was unfinished and everything. And I'm, I'm writing out the bills and it was too much month at the end of the money. And I started, I started focusing on the problems. God, this is how you're going to do me, God. It's amazing how, how we blame God. God, this is how you're going to do me. 
I could have been a CPA attorney right now. I wouldn't have been struggling with this bill right now. I would have been having somebody else pay it for me. That's what, uh, what, what this is how you do me after all that. This is where we're at, God. I got to break open the piggy bank to buy diapers and formula. Seriously, God? Having this talk with the Lord. And the Lord starts walking me around. We were in a we, by the way, having this talk with God when we had just built a house. Now, it was nothing like the house we were building in New Jersey. In New Jersey, we were building a custom house, Italian marble, the whole nine. We left that. We built a raised ranch. But it was still a house that we built, and we were young. And so I'm living in a house complaining to God about how I got nothing. And then God says, okay, let's walk around. And God starts walking me around and furniture and spoons and knives and glasses and appliances and, and, and clothes. And, and he asked me one question, who gave you that? Who gave? And everything in the house was a gift. And he said, who do you think prompted people to give you all these things? Because when you give, it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give onto your bosom? And suddenly as I begin to do this, all of the problems begin to disappear and I started focusing on the promises of God. See, here's what happens when we complain instead of having a heart of gratitude. The problem overtakes us and we lose sight of the promise. But Jesus got those five crackers and two small sardines against 30,000 people and instead of magnifying the fact that they had so little like Andrew did, like Philip did, like Moses did. Jesus said, I thank you for what we do have because if he realized God can provide the little, how many of you know God can provide the big as well? And that set the miracle off. And when you read the scripture, that's what the Bible tells us, Philippians 4, 6. This is how you ought to pray. Be anxious for nothing. But in every situation, watch this, watch this. By prayer and petition... With thanksgiving, present your request to God. So how should prayer go? Yes, prayer needs to make God aware of the need, but prayer also, after it makes God aware of the need, has to focus on thanking God for what he's already given you in your life, and then before you get what you wanted, thanking God for what he's about to give you, that he's going to be faithful to his promise, because when you thank God in advance, it is the epitome of childlike trust, believing that your father can do anything, that there's nothing to difficult for him matter of fact the Bible says even when you come to God enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever his faithfulness continues to all generations when you are in an attitude of gratitude it calls in the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God into your life stop focusing on what's wrong and start focusing on what's right and I call this Christ-like gratitude because this is how Jesus operated he held up the loaves and fishes He gave thanks for what he had and before he got what he wanted. Before he was resurrected at the Last Supper, he held up the bread and the wine and what did he do? He gave thanks. He was about to die. But he gave thanks. Why? 
Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Why? Because he was looking on to us. He knew the resurrection was coming. And so instead of focusing on the cross or the problem, he gave God thanks for what God was about to do. He treated his father like his father could do it. He stood before the four-day-old dead body of Lazarus. And you know what he said? Father, I thank you that you hear me even before I pray Christ-like gratitude. Thanks, God, for what they have and before we get what we want. That's the third principle of how God will amaze you. The fourth, and I'm going to do these two real quick, is expect God-like returns. If you're going to... If you're going to see God amazed, you need to expect God-like returns. Imagine if your kid asks you something and they have no confidence that you're going to do what you said. Um, listen, mom, dad, uh, can, can, you, can, you, can you bring me my sneakers at the end of the school day? I forgot them. You, you, you say, sure. Then 20 times throughout the course of the day, can, can you bring me down? After... I'm going to be like, after the third time, I told you, stop bothering me with this nonsense. I told you, I'm going to bring it to you, right? Expect God-like returns. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise the fish, watch this, watch this, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, I told you Jesus was Italian. You don't believe me. I keep giving you evidence. They ate as much as they wanted until they were filled. By the way, do you know who limits the miraculous flow of God in our lives? Us. They kept eating. And as long as they kept eating, as long as they kept receiving, it kept coming. When did it stop? It stopped when they were full. And see, we need to understand, we don't serve a God of just a little. Philip had it wrong. Andrew had it wrong. That everyone could take a little. He's not El Chibo. He is El Shaddai, the God that is more than enough. That's why every time God pours, he overtakes your life. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the day of your life. He'll open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing There won't be room enough for you to receive. More than enough. Expect God-like returns. It's called the law of measures. The law of measures says this. God can't multiply what you don't give him. God will multiply in proportion to what you give him. And God's output is always greater than our input. Let let me say it again, because some of you don't realize that this is a law. God can't multiply what you don't give him. God will multiply in proportion to what you give him. And God's output is always greater than our input. Luke 6.38, give, and it will be given to you. God can't multiply what you don't give him. Give. And it will be given to you. The natural reaction is the seed that you sow. Give. And it will be. God cannot multiply what you don't give him. God will multiply in proportion to what you give him. And part of the verse. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured to you. God's output is always greater than your input. Given it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down. Shaken together. And running over. For with the same measure that you give, it will be measured to you. This little boy gave something small. Five crackers and two fish. But it was everything he had. So the proportion 
was enormous. And watch what happens at the end of the story. Verse number 12, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Now, the Bible never says what they did with it, but I'm kind of going to put in an educated guess on this. Based on the authority of how every other seed and return works in the Bible. Twelve baskets because twelve disciples. But not so that the disciples could have them because they had no faith. Twelve baskets so that the disciples could carry the blessing back to the house of the little boy who gave Jesus his everything. Can you imagine him returning to mama that day? Mama, look at this. I thank you for teaching me how to share. Mama, because you taught me how to share, I gave Jesus the lunch that you packed me today. And guess what Jesus brought us back? Groceries for an entire year. Expect God-like returns. Don't don't ever be jealous of somebody's harvest unless you're jealous of their seed. Don't don't judge what somebody does in somebody else's life until you know the seed that they've sown for the kingdom of God. But let me close with this last point. If we're going to see God amaze us, we need to understand who he is. Then those men, the 5,000 men, heads of household, when they saw the sign that Jesus did, They said, this is truly a prophet, the prophet who is to come into this world. The same people came searching him out on the following day because they wanted more and they began to ask him, how can we work the works of God? Jesus said, you're seeking me not because you saw the sign, but because you ate the bread. Listen to what Jesus said. You're seeking me not because you saw the sign, but because you ate the bread. That sounds a little confusing to me. They ate the bread, but they didn't see the sign. They participated in a miracle, but they missed the meaning. See, every miracle, every miracle, every miracle, it's not just so God can bless you, although he loves to do that. It's so that God can, can grow you in your relationship with him. He then says to them, the work of God is to believe in me. He says, you remember the manna. Our fathers, this is the rest of the chapter, ate in the wilderness that came down from heaven. Well, well, the true bread of life has come down from heaven. And then he flatly says to them in verse 35 of the same chapter, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never hunger again. He who believes in me will never thirst. Putting it all together, he's saying, I am the one who sent the manna from heaven at Moses' request. I'm greater than Moses. I'm the one who came to quench your hunger and your thirst in every area of your life. I told them not to take more manna because I wanted them to know that I am enough. And when you get Jesus in your life, it doesn't matter if he does another thing for you. Stop being selfish. He has done so much for you. He is enough. He's all we need. Jesus was saying, I'm not a good prophet. He said, I'm greater than all the prophets. He said, you remember? And they knew all this. Elijah fed a hundred men with 20 loaves of bread. He said, but one greater than Elijah came. He said, I just fed 30,000 plus with five loaves of bread. Don't you realize that even though Elijah was a prophet, his greatness cannot even touch my greatness. I am not just a prophet. Listen to me. Jesus is not just a good man. Nowadays, what you're going to start to see is you're going to start to see the confluence of religions. 
you're going to see where all religions begin to amalgamate. They begin to come together, blend for unity's sake. Everybody's got to love one another. Love refuses to stand by what's wrong. Love corrects. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. See, they were trying to merge Jesus into something that Jesus was not. Jesus is not just a good man. He can't be just a good man. He can't be just a good prophet. Do you remember what C.S. Lewis said? He said he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. But he can't just be a good guy. If he walked around because he did all these nice things and was a good guy, but he wasn't telling the truth, that doesn't, a good guy doesn't lie all the time. And so if you don't want to call him a liar, then you have to recognize he must be a lunatic. Because if he was believing what he said, then he must have been a lunatic. He's either got to be a liar, he's either got to be a lunatic, or he is who he said. And Jesus came and he did this bread miracle so that they would realize that he was the same God who sent the manna in heaven. He's not just a prophet. And today he wants to be Lord of your life he wanted them to know he was the one who split the seas for Moses he was the one who brought down fire from heaven for Elijah he was the one who sent the ravens he was the one who spoke to the whale he was the one who put the whole thing into motion he's not just a prophet he is God manifest in the flesh and he wants to be the savior of your life would you stand to your feet No, not just a prophet. Jesus' most important question he asked when he was on the earth was to his disciples. He said, who do you say I am? You know what they said? Some say Elijah. Some say the different prophets. Jesus said, but who do you say I am? Because if all I am to you is just a prophet, you have missed the whole message of the Bible. Today, if you're here, have you resigned your life have you surrendered your life to not just a great man but to God the Lord of glory the king of the universe the God of miracles who came to this earth so that you could be made right with him if you're here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus and you don't know what would happen to you if you were to die this moment or this second where you would spend eternity today God wants you to receive him as more than a prophet but as the Lord and Savior of your life with no one looking around if you're here today you say pastor I don't know if I'm right with God but today I want to give my life to him right where you are without anybody looking around. Just put your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. Will you pray for me? Today I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I don't know if I'm right with him, but today I want to be made right with him. I promise we won't embarrass you. Just slip your hand up and we'll pray for you. Pastor, today I don't know if I'm right with Jesus, but today I want to be made right with him. Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank you that at least in this house today are people who love you. But Father, we also know that there are people who are watching wherever they're watching from different parts of the world who may be hearing about Jesus for the first time. So if you're listening on the other side of that camera and you have made Jesus the Lord of your life or you want to, I want to lead you in a prayer. Can we all pray with those people who may be giving their life to Jesus today? One of the things I love is every week I get a report of not just the people in services at our locations that give their life to Jesus, but the people on TV and on on uh, 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 on the internet and all of that who give their life to Jesus. Let's pray together. Would you all pray this prayer out loud with me? Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I surrender to you. 
I ask you to forgive me. I repent of my sins. And I make Jesus the Lord of my life. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. If you prayed that prayer on the other side of that camera for the first time today, there's a little hand. Click it. We'll reach out to you, help you in your journey with the Lord. If you don't see the hand, just type Jesus in the chat and we'll reach out to you. God bless all of you. Happy Mother's Day to every single one of you moms. Have a great day, fellas. Get the vacuum out. Get the pots out. Get the pans out. Let's go get the mops out. Let's serve the women of God today. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.